Well, as we get into this study of Balaam, uh, starting in Numbers 22, I will say, Tommy was extremely bummed that he was not here today, that he's going to be gone next Sunday. I mean, if there's if there's an exciting uh, story, dramatic part of the book, this is it. Uh, and so, uh, we'll try to make take full advantage of this. We will only plan to cover chapter 22, but the story goes for at least three chapters, if not arguably maybe four into chapter 25, though Balaam is not specifically mentioned in chapter 25. He's alluded to later in the book when it comes to reflecting on what happens in chapter 25. So I thought I would start off with this quote, um, uh, Gordon Wenham in the Tyndale Commentary he had, he had this statement to make and I thought it was good. He said, The charming naivete of these stories disguises a brilliance of literary composition and a profundity of theological reflection. What a statement. <laughs> the narrative is at, both, is at once both very funny and deadly serious. The stupidity and stubbornness of the human characters, Balaam and Balak, is accentuated by the behavior of the donkey. This animal, proverbial for its dullness and obstinacy, is shown to have more spiritual insight than the super-prophet from Mesopotamia whom Balak is prepared to hire at enormous expense to curse Israel. Yet this numbskulled, money-grubbing, heathen seer is inspired by the Spirit of God with a vision of Israel's future destiny, truly messianic in its dimensions. The drama, irony, and paradoxes of the story fascinate and perplex the reader. Think about these questions. Was Balaam a sinner or a saint? Why did God change his mind about letting Balaam go? What did Balaam really foretell in his visions? And maybe the best question, what is the point of including these stories in numbers? What is the what is the point? What is, did you stop and think about that? Of all we've been studying, now, now think about where we are. Uh, time-wise, Time-wise, how would you explain where we are from a timing perspective? About to enter the promised land. Yes. For real this time. Yeah. So they're in their 40th year of wandering in the wilderness. They're about to enter the promised land. Where are they? Where have they made made their way to? They've most recently camped here in Kadesh Barnea. And they've made their way around Edom around Moab and made their way just here into the plains of Moab at the foot of the mountains of Moab is where they are geographically. And so ready to enter the promised land finishing their 40 years of wandering why now the story of Balaam and Balak? Anybody got any thoughts? Think about that. And we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll plan to have a few comments as we go through. But well, I, the question that comes to my mind in part is, how much did Israel know about this story while it was happening? Probably very little, but then they learned about it afterwards. And somewhere I have a note which says, 
God protects his people. Yes. They're, they're wandering around. They're going from place to place, occasionally complaining about water and food. And the whole time, God is over there hanging out with this donkey and this prophet and this king and continuing to bless the people yeah. and prevent them from being cursed <clears throat> and protecting them in those ways. And so it's... Yeah. You said a whole lot right there that I, that I think we'll want to expand upon further. The whole idea of blessing and cursing is key. I don't know if you if you counted. Uh, I've been influenced, so I, <laughs> I counted how many times uh, the words blessing and curse appeared in this in this section, and it's it's many. Okay, I'm not going to get into the. I'm not going to do as much writing today as normal. But uh, so Sarah commented that they've come here, they've already traveled up and down this east side of the Jordan River doing what? Spying? No. Conquering. They've already, they've already conquered uh, Sihon, king of the Amorites. They've, they've conquered Og, king of Bashan. And they've, they've conquered the east side of the Jordan River. Could you think it's possible that they could conclude maybe this is what we were destined for? Maybe this is the land God intended, but is it the land God intended for them? No. Could it be easy to maybe say, we're going to stop right here? We've got enough enough to take care of us. But God, I think, is showing them by continuing to bless them, to provide for them, to protect them, that He's showing them and giving them courage for what is going to lie ahead. So we may have more to say about that in a bit. I, I, this this point was made that I had not considered that uh, Israel has had three stopping places uh, in, in the text as they've left uh, Egypt. And of course, they first stopped at Mount Sinai, correct? They stopped there in Exodus 19 and they actually stayed there all the way through Numbers chapter 10. So that whole, that whole section of text is them at Mount Sinai. And then they leave, then they leave there and make it to Kadesh where they send out the spies. And spies go up, spy out the land, come back, they give the bad report, and then there's the 40 years of wandering. And then they make it here to the foot of the mountains of Moab. So you've got Mount Sinai, you've got Kadesh Barnea, and you've got the foot of the mountains of Moab. Three kind of stopping places. And in each of these three stopping places, uh, there are allusions made to the promises that God made to Abraham. And you can go back and kind of check those. They may be a little obscure in some cases, but we're even going to see them here in this story uh, about Balaam and Balak. But what follows then is an apostasy. Think about what happened at Mount Sinai with the golden calf. You think about what happened there at Kadesh Barnea. First with the bad report by the spies, but then even more than that, what followed was Korah's rebellion. And then what you have here at this camping place is you have uh, uh, what takes place at, at Baal Peor, which we'll see in chapter 25. So at each camping place, you have these allusions to the promises God made to Abraham. You have this great apostasy and you have atonement by the priests or the Levites in response to that. And so uh, that's kind of interesting that you see that at each of these camping places. 
And in this story, there is perhaps a structural device in the use of threefold repetition. What happens in this story in sets of three? What happens in sets of three in this story that you can remember? He beats the donkey three times. Okay, that's right. He beats the donkey three times. Balaam does. He asked God three times whether he can go. Okay. Or God, you know. or, yeah. <laughs> or God addresses him three times. Yeah, it's it's it. it, it. <clears throat> Regarding his his intention for him to go to Balak in response to the request. It's kind of wrapped up with the being beaten three times, but the the donkey uh, the donkey uh, avoids the angel of the Lord three times. Balaam arranges for three sets of sacrifices to be offered before, you might say, attempting to curse Israel. So it's, it's fun to just kind of pay attention to some of the things that, that the, the text lays out. Well, uh, In chapter 22, we see in the first six verses that Balak sends for Balaam, and then you have Balaam's three encounters with God, and then, of course, he ends up going, and so the the chapter ends with Balak welcoming Balaam in those last five verses, but then verse 41 is actually almost a part of the first uh, discourse uh, from God in in response to this uh, request to to uh, curse Israel. I want to ask this question: uh, How do you think the author of Numbers viewed Balaam, positively or negatively? So you might just think about that as we as we go through, and 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 stop and consider. It is it is a reality that the rest of the Bible has much negative to say about Balaam. Um, we read about Balaam in uh, Numbers thirty one. He's referenced in Deuteronomy twenty three. He's talked about in the New Testament in Second Peter chapter two. He's, he's mentioned in Jude verse 11 and in the message uh, to the church at Pergamum in Revelation 2. He's brought up again. So, And all of these in a very negative light in terms of him and his person and what he was about. So uh, as we go through this, think about that and I may have some more to say about that question when we, 
when we move on through. Okay. Uh, questions or comments before we start reading through the text? All right. Who would like to read? Who would like to read verses one through six? Sarah, please start us off. <coughs> then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous, and and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of Moab at that time. So he sent messengers to Balaam son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river, in the land of the sons of his people, to call them, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they cover the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Okay, so the the Israelites are traveling. They've camped in the plains of Moab, verse 1 tells us, beyond the Jordan, opposite Jericho. So we've got we've got Jericho here, so it's beyond the Jordan and believed to be right in this area, uh, just uh, north of the Dead Sea. Notice Moab is really kind of down in this region officially, uh, bounded by the Arnon uh, River to the north. And so they're, they're technically a little bit outside, but enough to worry Moab. He's seen what these people have done coming out of Egypt and including their most recent uh, uh, escapades in conquering all of the land east of the Jordan River. And Balak sees this, uh, and he, verse 3, tells us he's in great fear. Uh, the people are numerous He's even in dread of the sons of Israel. So he reaches out, verse 4, to the elders of Midian. Anybody have any thoughts about why, who, who are these people and what are they doing here? They're not, they're not Moabites. Well, they're, they're descendants of Abraham uh, through, was it Keturah, uh, I believe? And so they are, they are distant relatives. And we know, we know that when Moses uh, escaped Egypt and went to the burning bush, was he not in the, the land of the Midianites at that time? Yeah. And, and so they, they inhabited that region east of the Red Sea. But it appears they are somewhat of a nomadic people. And they've taken up, at least some have taken up some residence here in this area. And so, um, and, and so Balak reaches out to these elders of Midian and comments in verse 4 uh, rather graphically. 
You know, that this horde, he says, will lick up all that is around us just like an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak was king at that time. So they devised this plan to hire Balaam, uh, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river. So where would that put where would that put uh, Balaam being located on our map? In fact, he's not on our map. So it's interesting. He is also mentioned, Balaam is also mentioned in uh, chapter 23 and verse 7. It says, He took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me. Or some of your Bibles may say from Syria. Of course, we know Syria to be to the north. The Euphrates River, which I think is the river being referred to here, while it does primarily extend over and uh, exist over in the east, over here, it extends all the way up to the north, to the north of the Mediterranean Sea. And it is believed that actually uh, Balaam came more from the north, uh, being by the river, the river Euphrates. And so if you can think and remember where the city of Carchemish was, just a little bit south of there's the river Euphrates, and so it's believed that he he uh, originated from there. More maybe more north in the area of Aram and Syria than east uh, in say the Babylon area. And so they they've hired him uh, in order to come. Verse six says to curse the people, but again in verse five there's this reference to the fact that uh, they realize that this people, the Israelites, have come out of Egypt and uh, they've made their way here. They are a people, verse 6 says, too mighty for Moab. And so he's reaching out to uh, Balaam to come and curse them so that they might be successful in battling them. Because Balaam is one who is known for... If he blesses you, you are blessed. And if he curses you, you are cursed. Thoughts, comments, questions? All right. Let's read. Let's read verses seven through fourteen, and we'll see this uh, the first encounter. Who would like to read? Phil. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. He said to them, Send the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they covered the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall curse the people, for they are blessed. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, 
Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. All right. So we see in this text, verse 7, that it is both the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian who go on this uh, uh, hiring party to try to get Balaam to come in response to Balak's request. They leave with money in hand to entice him, to induce him to come. This may be about the last time we see a reference to uh, the elders of Midian pay attention for that, but I, I'm not sure we read about them again after this. So they uh, they 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 come, and God God instructs Balaam to to not go with them and to not curse the people because the, these people are blessed. And so Balaam gets up. Goes goes to the leaders and, and tells them, "Well, you just have to go back because God uh, God's not going to let me go. He's refused to let me go." Uh, and so they go back and tell Balaam. Opinion of Balaam, right here. Sounds good. All right, pretty upright guy. He's all about doing what God says, right? I mean, that, that's all. That's all he's interested in. It appears to be. Uh, came with a lot of money. Tried to get him to come. Uh, he says, let me consult God. God says, no, no it's a clear picture. I'm not going to go. All right. Seems, seems uh, from at least neutral to positive at this point, I would say. Yeah. All right. I just realized, looking at the map and thinking yeah. about it, so they came from Moab, Yeah. and then they had to go north, past where Israel was hanging out, ah. go all the way up to, to Balaam, Talk to him, and they had to go back past Israel again <laughs> to say to Balak, "Hey, we can't." And then they do this one, two, three times, yeah, four times, three, yeah, three times. yeah. You're like, "Uh oh, they're bigger." I don't know what. What's well, a good point too? I mean, it just start stop and think about this. Uh, a lot of time passes, uh, and and all the while they're making these travels, they're reminded of this horde of people. Uh, okay, I didn't consider that. It, it is interesting to me how the message seems to get watered down a little bit. God says, don't go because they're blessed. Balaam says, God refuses. The people go back to Balak and say, Balaam refuses. Okay. And so it does not seem like it's like a game of telephone, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The message at the end isn't quite the same as the message at the beginning. Okay. Okay. Definitely lose some detail and, and God's, God's involvement falls out, falls off. Okay. All right. Well, let's read. Uh, let's read fifteen to twenty. Uh, the second. The second encounter. Uh, who will read? Please. Once again, Balak sent princes more in number and more honorable than these, and they came to Balaam and said to him, "Thus says Balak the son of Zippor." Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight, 
that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. All right. So, uh, more of the same but yet different. Verse 15 tells us that Balak uh, tries again. But what's different this time? More money and more important people. All right. More more important people, more people, more money, more, more, more. We're going to get this guy uh, to come and do what we would want him to do. And and so they make this, as you point out, they make this trek again. Kind of reminds me of uh, Moses going back and forth up up Mount Sinai and back down. I think he does that like seven times. Uh, and so they make this journey once again, and similar message. But they say in verse sixteen, "Let nothing hinder you from coming." Of 17, I will honor you richly. I will do whatever you say to me. Please come curse this people for me. Now, what would you expect Balak, based upon his first response, the positive view of of Balaam, what would you expect Balaam to say at this point? Can't. God already said no. Yeah. And in a sense, he does in verse 18. But what's the surprising part? I'll ask again. again. (laughs) Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything either small or great contrary to the command of the Lord my God. You'd think that's it. Stop. End of sentence. End of paragraph. End of discussion. But as you point out in verse 19, now please stay here tonight and I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. Now what do you think of Balaam? What do you think, Josh? It's like he's looking for a reason to go. Yeah, yeah. He knows what God wants, but wow, this looks like a really good job. I mean, this this is going to pay well. Important people have come to me. Um, I really want to go. And so maybe maybe God will change his mind if I if I ask again, perhaps. Although if we try not to think of it knowing what happens, <laughs> part of it is like, okay, this is what God has said, but I'm going to make sure that there hasn't been a change in circumstance with God. I'm going I will ask again to make sure in the sense of maybe God has decided to let me go now. Maybe these people aren't blessed. Maybe he does want me to curse them. Yeah, I mean, kind of just like double checking with God as opposed to trying to go, hey, mom, dad said I couldn't, but can I kind of concept? Yeah, maybe. It's a little iffy. It is hard. It is hard to view this uh, as if we didn't know where this is headed. Well, he is um, apparently a man of God, right? I mean, I mean, God is speaking to him. So that's a really good question. Yeah, would you call Balaam a man of God? Is everybody in the Bible who speaks prophetically a man of God? Uh, 
Here, let, let me give you let me give you this just real quick. I appreciate you saying what you're saying, Phil. Uh, I think I have always considered it that way, though I've struggled with understanding how he could be a man of God given the way he behaves uh, and the things that that he does. So you you recall you recall in Deuteronomy 13, uh, dreamers and seers could actually give a, a prophecy and it could become true, but they could also, in, in, in doing that, tell you to stop worshiping God and worship other gods and they are to be cursed and put to death. You're not to follow them even though what they said came true. Um, you might also think about King Saul, how he was condemned to lose his throne, yet he still prophesied. Man of God, King Saul. Uh, Caiaphas prophesied the death of Jesus. Man of God. Uh, Jewish exorcists cast out demons um, in Jesus' name without believing in Jesus. And uh, and Jesus even said in Matthew 7 that uh, you know no, no amount of prophecy or working of miracles would guarantee your entry into the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So, you know... Throughout throughout the Bible, you you might see some who who were able to speak for God, but would we call them people of God? Does they, does them speaking for God automatically tell us about their character? And no, just like God can use a donkey to speak his word and his message and it doesn't really say anything about the character of a donkey. He does say in verse 19 he refers to God as the Lord my God. Okay, so he professes. His perspective. Yeah, okay, very good. I don't know if this was mentioned earlier, but Jethro was a priest of Midian. Yeah, we don't know necessarily what did that mean. What that yeah. meant, but at least Mo- Moses held him in high regard, sought his counsel. Good point. Say. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff to put all together. The donkey spoke the word of God too. I love that. <laughs> and and to me, not only is it surprising that Balaam would go back to God and inquire a second time, what is even more surprising is God's answer. Where he tells them, uh, if the men have come to call you, which uh, the NIV I think reads, since the men have come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So, has God changed his mind? Again, reading this without knowing the rest of the story, you're kind of to the point, wow, maybe God is going to let him go and, and do what Balak asks. Well, let's read on. Uh, 21 through 35. Who will read? 21 through 35. Vanessa, please. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princess of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. 
And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with the wall on either side. <clears throat> and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place, where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princess of Balaam. Okay. So God lets Balaam go, but yet he's angry that he went. I find that I find that interesting and curious. Um, in verse twenty-two, it says that the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. That word "adversary," you know what that literally is? Satan. Satan. Yeah, he's he's his adversary. He is his Satan here, and. Uh, as he is against uh, what Balaam is doing. So, the donkey sees, Balaam doesn't. I'll read this uh, to you. Up to this point, Balaam has been portrayed as a man of great spiritual stature who can meet with God when he wants and whose words have tremendous effects on the fate of nations. Here... His spiritual blindness and powerlessness are disclosed. He cannot see the angel of the Lord standing in his path, though the donkey can. Then, to our astonishment, the donkey speaks. Such a thing would have seemed just as unlikely to the ancient Israelite as it does to us. (laughs) But what surprises you even more in this little uh, reading that we had? Not only that the donkey speaks, but what else? What else, Becky? Balaam answers him. And he's having a conversation with him, evidently. Now, is this literal? Well, I don't have any reason to believe otherwise. I found another threefold for Okay. The donkey asks three questions. Okay. Very good. Why are you straight me? Um... Am I not your donkey? And have I ever done this before? Hello? Yeah, very good. The whole thing part with God letting Balaam go and then gets angry that he does. Yeah. It reminds me of 
your kid wants to do something. You don't really want them to do it, but you're like, I'll let you make the decision. And you're disappointed when they choose yeah. what you think is the wrong decision. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. That, that in, in essence, God allows Balaam to follow these desires that he, he has, these desires of his heart uh, and of his will. Uh, yeah, very good. I think what's interesting is after all of this, God still says, go with them. Yeah. I mean, if I was Balaam at that point, I'd be like, well, maybe not. So God is God is using... Balaam, just like he does throughout the Bible, he uses people and their nature, their wills and their desires to work his end. And and the end is that he's going to bless his people. He's going to show that they are his special people. He's going to, in essence, repeat some of the promises that he made to Abraham through this, uh, through these oracles that are delivered through Balaam. So, I, yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there. And the other thing with that is that I think that Balaam has the opportunity to do the right thing here. Yeah. And throughout the, the thing, that God will work his will in through the end. But, you know, Balaam could have just blessed the people and not tried to curse them, at, like, once we get further down. Yes, yes, yes. Spoil the ending. But, um, right. you know, like, it, it, he could have done that of his own will, but he, but he didn't. And yeah. So, Balaam still has the free will to choose right from wrong, um, but we get to make that decision for ourselves, and so the goal is to get our will in line with God's. Yes, very good. Anissa? I was kind of saying that um, once God lets Balaam know that he chose wrong, he's like, you chose the wrong way, but I'm going to use it for good, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to bless the people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was like Joseph being sold into slavery. Uh, you know, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, and was able to use that uh, for His purposes. Uh, we see, we see His uh, now. This Satan comes out up again in verse thirty-two. Uh, the angel says, "Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary of Satan, uh, because your way was contrary." to me. Uh, if the donkey had not acted, Balaam would have been dead. And so Balaam gives some sort of an apology, confession. He does say, I have sinned. Um, I don't know that he owns up to everything that uh, he could have, should have there in this uh, apology. But uh, nevertheless, he comes to some level of, of awareness and So the angel tells him, verse 35, go on with the men, but again, only speak what I will tell you. And so now he goes on with the leaders. Yes? Um, I found it interesting some of the parallels that are between God and Balaam and Balaam and the donkey. Okay. So check this out. God's anger was kindled in verse 22. Uh Um, Balaam's anger was kindled in verse 27. Uh Um, Balaam says he wished he had a sword in his hand, and when his eyes are open, he sees the angel has a power. Right? And so the donkey's doing contrary to what Balaam wanted, but Balaam is doing what what was contrary to God. Very good. Balaam says of the donkey that you've made a fool of me. I kind of wonder if that's what Balaam was about to do to God. Ah, very good. I appreciate that. It's good to be looking 
it's good to see those those connections. I think they're they're intentional for sure. Uh, Sarah, do you have something else? Yeah, um, this was. I think this was kind of like a reminder to Balaam. Only say what I'm going to tell you. There's the. I've, I mean, I can find you in the field. I can find you by the vineyard. I can find you in the narrow path. There's, you know, there's there's an angel with a sword hanging out right in front of you. Um, so remember, you only speak what I say. Yeah. And he seems to get that point yeah, as we see that carry on into the yeah. chapter 23 and beyond. Good, good. Yes, Josh. I find Balaam's confession of sin in 34 to be uninspiring. <laughs> I get the, the idea that it's like he's asking for forgiveness about beating the donkey. Just like... Yeah. Sorry, I wish I knew I would have done it differently. Yeah. Not. It's almost God's fault that he didn't make himself more clear. Yeah, not being repentant of why he's going. Right. Doesn't acknowledge that he has turned from God's instructions, but. Yeah, he he very he very much at least at best maybe half owns uh, what's what's happening here. So I think that gives a little insight into his character as well. When we see pride, I feel like he's being overcome with pride. It was the the honor and the esteem and the wealth that got him on this road in the first place. Uh-huh. And then the donkey that he has ridden his whole life, he wants to kill it when he looks like a fool in front of two servants. It's like he's being given over to his pride. Uh-huh. Where perhaps he might have included that in his confession instead of, oh, I, you know, I didn't see it there. I missed the two servants part. So, uh, thanks for bringing that up. It didn't take much to to stoke his pride here. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, let's finish up uh, verse 36. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the Arnon border at the extreme end of the border. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not urgently send to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I really unable to honor you? So Balaam said to Balak, Behold, I have now come to you. Am I able to speak anything at all? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I shall speak. And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath-Huzoth. And Balak sacrificed oxen and sheep, and sent some to Balaam and the leaders who were with him. And then verse 41, Then it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to a high, to the high places of Baal, and he saw from there a portion of the people. So that's really kind of the intro into this uh, first oracle that uh, Balaam will deliver. So notice, ba- Balak, Balak's down here in Moab, and when he hears that, that Balaam is coming, he rushes out to meet him and goes to the extreme end of the of the border of Moab here at the Arnon. So he makes a lengthy trip to to welcome him. He's so excited that he is coming and he shows that with this as well as the 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 uh the big feast that he throws for him and you know he kind of chides him a little bit in verse 37, you know, didn't why didn't you come before? is uh, as, as if as if he is saying that and uh did you think I really couldn't reward you. I couldn't honor you with with great reward. 
And Balaam, as Sarah points out, Balaam says, well, I'm here, but I will only be able to speak what, uh, the, what God puts in my mouth. Questions, thoughts, or comments? Do we know where Kiriakus are? You know, I meant to look that up, and I did not. So I have no idea. Anybody have a reference to Kiriath Huzoth in your Bible or elsewhere? Apparently it's somewhere where they can see the people, but... Yes. And, and, and notice it's a portion of the people. Um, yeah, when he brought him up to the high places of Baal or... Some will say that is the same in verse 41 as Bamoth Baal. So it may actually be a literal name of a place. And Bamoth was actually mentioned back in chapter 21, verse 19 and 20. In their travels, they made it to Bamoth and from there to the valley that is in the land of Moab at the top of Pisgah overlooking. So... Okay. I have a note that says the location of Kiriathuzo is not known. Aha. And I think that is so true with a lot of these. So, but thank you for sharing that. Well, again, uh, how how did how did the writer of Numbers view Balaam? Well, it's hard to think that he viewed him positively, that you would conclude that simply by what we read in these chapters, because in just a short while, in chapter 31, he will clearly point out that it was Balaam who was behind the sin at Baal Peor. And, of course, uh, it's also referenced in Deuteronomy, and it's hard to believe that the, the editor of Numbers would not be aware of what was being written in Deuteronomy and to think that uh, they have a different view than what is painted in the rest of, of the, the first five books of, of Moses. So, uh, someone, th- this author, uh, Wenham, also pointed out that the parallelism between Balaam and his donkey suggests that the ability to declare God's word is not necessarily a sign of Balaam's holiness, only that God can use anyone to be his spokesman. And throughout the Bible, uh, prophecy and other spiritual gifts are regarded as signs of inspiration, but not necessarily of holiness or of a right standing with God. So, uh, as... As we get into the next chapter and you prepare for chapter 23, as you read those oracles, those discourses, sometimes they're called parables, uh, view them in view of the promises that God made to Abraham and how God is confirming these promises in each of those messages. Okay? So think about that. Think about the promises to Abraham And how is God confirming that again to His people through those oracles delivered through Balaam? Thanks for class today.